Well, I do not see any children today unless some of you would like to claim to be kids. Uh, otherwise, we will go forward and I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 21 as we continue our study of the life of David. 1 Samuel 21. We're going to look at a short passage from chapter 21 and then it bleeds over into chapter 22. So it's kind of a strange text. You might wonder, why did I choose those particular verses? 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22, 5. Hopefully you'll understand why in just a little while. Chapter 21, beginning of verse 10. Listen carefully to God's word. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their Uh, in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Well, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who uh, was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you'll send your Holy Spirit and let him teach us and let him help us understand this passage, apply it to our lives, and have a more intimate walk with Jesus as a result. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Maybe um, you have walked with God long enough to have discovered that God's ways are not our ways. Could some of you affirm that God's ways are not our ways? I think most of us probably could. God doesn't operate on our timetable, does he? He doesn't answer prayer the way we might expect him to answer prayer. He doesn't uh, lift us up. Instead, he seems to want to take us down in order to raise us up. He breaks us in order to mend us. He wounds in order to heal. He brings trials into our lives, doesn't he? in order to conform us into the likeness of Christ. Have you discovered these things? It's not the way we would do it, perhaps. 
but then God's ways are not our ways. Perhaps you've heard the name Kara Tippetts. Kara Tippetts, she was a pretty well-known Christian author and blogger. She and her husband, Jason, moved from North Carolina out to Colorado Springs back in 2012 in order to plant a new church. On their first night in Colorado Springs, though, first night, Kara fell and broke her nose and landed in the hospital with a heart problem. Then they almost lost their new home in a fire. It was called the Walden Canyon Fire when it swept through their community. But those two things paled in significance to what happened next. One morning, Kara was taking a shower and felt a lump. She went to the doctor and Kara was diagnosed with stage four metastatic cancer. It spread into her uterus and then into the lymph system behind her heart and then into her pelvic area, her brain, and finally her skeletal system. Kara died three years later at the age of 38. She left behind a husband and four children between the ages of five and 13. Why would God let that happen? We might ask, why, Lord, what were you up to? Kara and Jason were doing your work. They were going to start a church. Kara was a talented writer. She was having great influence ministering to thousands of people. Oh, but as we said earlier, God's ways are not our ways. Later, I'm going to tell you the rest of Kara's story, but for now, let's just sit with this truth for a few more minutes. For the follower of Jesus, the way up is usually down. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. Suffering's part of the Christian life. It's been true in my life and probably yours as well. I imagine if we went around the room this morning, many of you would tell us about the time that God brought suffering or loss or pain into your life. And even though as you look back on those experiences, those were hard times, you can say with certainty today that they produced good things in your life. But you had to go through those hard times. You had to go down in order to go up. Or maybe you're in the hard time right now. I don't know all of your stories. You didn't ask for this hard time that you're in. You're a child of God. You expected to be bearing fruit, being a blessing to people, raising a happy family, and living a full and happy life. But life hasn't turned out that way, perhaps, for some of you. Your health is not what you'd hoped for. Your kids are not doing what you'd hoped for. Your marriage is not what it once was. Maybe your struggles have gotten worse instead of better, and God seems very far away. God seems to be doing the very opposite of what you thought he would do to show you his love. I suspect there may be several of you that feel these ways. Wherever you are, whether you're in a good place or a hard place, 
Maybe what you need to hear this morning from God's word is that the way up is almost always down. I know that's not a popular message. I know that in many churches around this country, around the world, you're told that God only intends for you to be good and be prosperous and be happy and to have a full life and a wonderful life and have all your prayers answered. But as I read God's word, I see many people who would say, no, that's not always God's way. His ways are not our ways. It certainly was true for David that there are hard times that we must go through. Here in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, you're going to see that he who would one day ascend to be king of Israel and commander-in-chief of the world's mightiest war machine had to first descend into the valley of pain and heartache. So I want to show you three ways that I see David going down in order for God to eventually bring him up. Three ways. First, he lost his reputation, and then he spent time in isolation, and finally he learned some hard lesson, lessons in compassion. So reputation, isolation, and compassion, kind of where we're going today. So first, let's dive in and see that David first lost his reputation. As our text opens, the one I read for you, David is on the run. Now this is going to last a while, right? We're going to be studying the life of David for some time. And for a lot of this uh, fall season, David is going to be fleeing from King Saul, trying to protect himself from Saul. You remember that David had killed Goliath. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 17. And because he had killed Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, David was the object of everyone's affection. He was, all the people of Israel were enamored uh, with David. But Saul was insanely, what? <laughs> insanely envious. Remember last week we said envy and jealousy are a little bit different. He was insanely envious of David's successes. And that was in chapter 18. He even tried to kill David on a number of occasions. So here in chapter 21, verse 10, the first verse I read, it says that David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So the giant killer is now a fugitive. He's on the run. He's trying to stay away from Saul. The king elect had become an exile. He had done nothing wrong. In fact, he'd done, only done good things for Saul and the people of Israel, but he had to leave Israel and escape, and he went to Gath, G-A-T-H. <clears throat> now, what's Gath? Well, Gath is where Goliath was from. Gath was a Philistine city. So we might want to wonder, why did David go there? Why did he flee to Gath? Well, several possibilities. Maybe he thought that he could become a mercenary soldier for the Philistines. Or maybe he naively thought that he wouldn't be recognized in Gath and that he could just sort of, you know, fade into the scenery and be safe. But whatever the case, whatever the reason he went there, David's reputation had preceded him. The servants of Achish had already heard that top 
10 uh, hit song on the hit parade in verse 11, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his 10,000s. They'd already heard of David's fame and popularity. So now David in verse 12 was much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. He had run from the frying pan, now he's in the fire. Because Achish knew about David, he didn't want David around, and David was now afraid that he was in much more trouble than he was before. So what does David do? He comes up with a, an amazing plot. He pretends that he is insane. He acts like the mentally ill man that you see walking down a Loma Avenue talking to himself. He acts like he's lost his mind. In verse 13, it says that David, and you have to sort of picture this, it doesn't get real descriptive. David is taking his fingernails and making marks on the doors of the gate and letting spittle run down his beard. He's drooling, he's, he's, he's foaming at the mouth. He's making himself look crazy. And you've probably seen people like this, right? So that's what David is doing. And what does Achish do? What does he say? Well, in verse 14, he says, the man is mad. I mean, he says basically what you and I would say if we see a, a fellow like this. The man is crazy. And then he says, do I lack madmen? <laughs> what, what an insult <laughs> to your own people. You know, I'm surrounded by crazy people. <laughs> Why do I need one more? Um, get him out of here. The guy's a nut, in other words. And with that, David is able to get away from the Philistines. Now, on one hand, I guess you could say that David was really very clever. He came up with a plan I don't think I could dream up in a million years. But it worked. It got David out of trouble. But let's look at it another way. Let's make sure we remember that David is a human being just like you and me. This experience must have affected him deeply. Everybody likes to be popular. You and I, we like to be liked. That's one of the things that motivates us the most. We like to be liked and respected and admired. David was no exception. He's just like you and me. From now on, though, Instead of being a living legend, the man who had killed Goliath would be the brunt of their jokes. The man who had been celebrated in song would now be the object of scorn, at least in Gath and the surrounding area in Philistia. Think about it. Maybe you know what it's like to be laughed at. Do you remember stories from your past? Do you remember when you were a kid? you remember when people made fun of you? Remember when they picked on that one thing that you were most sensitive about and it left a deep mark? Some of us in the room are still suffering from being bullied or made fun of when we were kids. Maybe you've made a really stupid mistake at work and they won't let you forget it. Maybe you've been ostracized by family, by neighbors, because you're a Christian. You know some of those feelings? That's where David was. See, reputation's a big thing. For most of us, it's an idol. We can love our own reputation more than we love God. 
and we can trust in our reputation. We can depend on people's affection for us more than we trust in the Lord. And when our persona falls apart, we fall apart. I haven't told you much about my past, but before I moved to Orlando back in 2001, I had been a pastor of a church in another city. And it was the hardest time of my life. And my wife would say the same thing. Uh, it was a church that was in pain and I made a bunch of mistakes that only made it worse. Eventually the church split. And so when I think back upon that period of time, I think of myself as a failure. And it's really hard. I lost a lot of sleep during those years and my wife and I slept in separate bedrooms a lot of times in those years. It was really, really hard. Thanks to God's grace, a lot of counseling, a lot of patience and love, uh, God mended our relationship, but it was really, really hard. And so I know something of a loss of reputation. A lot of people in that city probably don't like me very much. That's how David felt. So what's God doing in his life through that experience, this crazy time that he had? He's doing him a favor. He's allowing David to lose a little bit of his pride so that nothing will occupy the throne of David's heart except for God. And maybe that's what he's done in your life too. Maybe he's doing it right now. See, God doesn't want to be one of many things in your life. He wants to be the main thing in your life. And in order to do that, in order to become the main thing in our lives, he will not share his heart, our hearts, with anything but him. And so he humbles us and he breaks us and lets us fail and maybe even lose our reputation if it means he gets your heart. The way up is down. And this is how it happened for David. He lost his reputation. But not only that, secondly, what else did God do in David's life? He let him spend some time in isolation. David spent time in isolation. Look at chapter 22 now, verse 1. It says, David departed from there, that is Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, Adullam is back in Judah, where David was from. So now he's back in Israelite territory. It's about 10 miles northeast of Gath. But for some days, he's not living in a city or in a house. He's living alone in a cave. A cave. Have you ever spent time in a cave? Probably not, not this long anyway. What's it like? What would it be like to live in a cave for an extended period of time? What do you suppose David was thinking? What was he feeling? Well, guess what? We don't have to wonder because he actually wrote a psalm when he was in the cave. It's Psalm 142. If you have your Bible open still, turn to Psalm 142 and, and we'll hear what David was thinking and feeling inside this cave. Psalm 142. It's not a long psalm, but it's very revealing. Notice the title of Psalm 142. It says it's a masculine of David when he was in the cave. It's a prayer. 
He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. You ever felt that way? I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. He ends with faith, but through the psalm you notice these various themes. Themes like loneliness, boredom, fear, desperation. He feels trapped. In verse 7, he talks about being in a prison. And perhaps some of you can identify with that. Maybe you're new in Orlando or new here at Grace Church. Maybe you have small kids and they keep you isolated from friends and activities, especially right now during coronavirus and all of the troubles that are going on in various schools today. Many moms feel this way. Maybe you have health problems that keep you limited in what you can do and where you can go. Maybe you're retired, maybe living on Social Security and have few options. Or you're stuck in a job you don't like or a relationship that's gone sour. There are many different quote-unquote prisons that we can find ourselves in. What's your prison today? God may be doing for you what he was doing for David, inviting you into solitude, drawing you into seclusion. That's so contrary to the way of the world. Seclusion, a good thing? Isolation, beneficial? Well, maybe so. You might wonder, why doesn't God deliver you from your cave or your prison more quickly? Well, I wish I could give you a good answer, a pat answer, but I can't. But this I do know. It's not because God doesn't love you. In fact, it may be God's way of getting you alone with him. Just because he loves you so much. That's why I said he invites you into isolation. Come away, be with me, he is saying. It was when David was alone in the cave of Adullam that he experienced intimacy with God. And so if you feel trapped, if you feel isolated, if you feel like you're secluded, unable, with few options to do anything else, look at it this way, that God is drawing you, inviting you, to a closer walk with him. See, the way up is down. The third thing that I see in this passage, not only did David lose his reputation and experience this isolation, but he learned some hard lessons in compassion. So you saw in our text that people came to David in this cave eventually. Some people came to to see him. The first group of people were David's own family members. 
Look at chapter 22, verse 1 again. It says in the second half of the verse that when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, that is, heard that David had fled from Gath and now was in the cave of Adullam, it says that they went down there to him. Now, friends, think about this for a moment. When you're going through a hard time, who are the last people you might want to see? Often, it's your relatives, right? (laughs) I have relatives that I'll be honest with you. Hopefully, they're not watching on live stream. I'd rather not be with them when I'm suffering. They only make it worse. (laughs) Do you remember how his family had treated David earlier? Back in chapter 16, when Samuel, this was the first sermon in this series, when Samuel came to Jesse's home looking for the next king of Israel, who wasn't there? David. They didn't even invite him to the party. What a low view they had of him. Oh, he's just young. He's a kid. He's a shepherd. Surely you don't want him. Uh, Also, back in uh, chapter 17, when Goliath was challenging the army of Israel, David's brothers ridiculed David as only a shepherd boy and told him to go home, get out of the way. But now these are the people who came to be with David. Not only that, but think about David's mother and father. They're probably old and frail and pretty worrisome by now. David might be thinking, oh, great. Now, on top of staying alive, I have to take care of my parents. But notice what David does in chapter 22, verse 3 says that David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now look, David is not just getting rid of them. No, at considerable risk and inconvenience, David is caring for his parents. He's making sure that they're cared for, even in the midst of his own concern for his safety. That's a lesson in compassion that David is learning. Uh, My mother-in-law is in a nursing home in downtown Orlando. She has dementia. It's really, really bad. She no longer remembers me. That's been true for quite a while but she doesn't recognize my wife, her daughter, anymore. Some of you have been through this. You know exactly what that's like. Uh, Before COVID happened, my wife spent a lot of time and energy caring for her mom. She washed her hair. She took her to the toilet. She walked her to the park. She changed her diaper. She loves her mother. But her mother is in many ways like a baby now, totally needing care. She demands time and attention, patience and understanding. In some ways, life for my wife is like being in a prison as far as that is concerned. We can't go on long trips for fear of something happening to my wife's mom and we'll have to be called to her side. What is God doing 
with this situation. He's teaching my wife and me patience and understanding and long-suffering and forgiveness. We're being made more like Jesus, who emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Dick DeGroat knows exactly what I'm talking about because of his wife, Molly. Dick DeGroat was in a prison that was intended for his good. And here he sits, a model of patience and understanding. Lessons in compassion. But look who else joined up with David in the cave. (laughs) In verse 2 of chapter 22, it says, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Can you believe it? 400 men, all of whom were in debt or bitter in soul or in distress. What David needed was a dream team and what he got was the bad news bears. These people were social outcasts, deviants, and deplorables. They were a 10th century BC version of Hell's Angels. That phrase, bitter in soul, you see that, bitter in soul? It's a Hebrew phrase often used by Job to describe his anguish and his grief and his sense of abandonment. That's how these people felt. Yet these were the people David had to learn to lead. Better yet, he had to learn to love them, right? And to serve them. And as David did that, they turned out to be just the thing he needed. Because the way up is down. So, Let's wrap up what we've seen in David's life here. Basically, before David could wear a crown, he had to carry a cross. How does that apply to you and to me? Well, God sometimes has to break us of our idol of reputation so that we'll trust only in him. He often has to put us in places where it's just us and him one-on-one. And God brings difficult people into our lives so that we will learn firsthand what grace is all about. Those things are hard. Those things are painful. So what are we supposed to do about it? How do we respond to these times and these people and these situations that are difficult? Well, Samuel Rutherford, Samuel Rutherford was a Scottish Presbyterian back in the 1600s. You ought to read some of the letters that he wrote people. They are quite amazing. Samuel Rutherford put it this way. He said, when we uh, are suffering, we should praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. Now, this was what I was going to teach the children today. I have an actual file over there in my box of mysteries. But I think you know what he was talking about. The hammer, the file, and the furnace. What Samuel Rutherford was was saying was to rejoice in our sufferings. To actually praise God when we are going through trial. 
because when we are suffering, God is actually at work preparing us, building us, shaping us into someone he can use for his glory, someone who is more like Jesus Christ himself. This story, by the way, is really not just about David. I was talking with Pat a little while before the service, and we were both remembering that every story we read about David is actually pointing us to Jesus. Because in David's suffering, you can see the sufferings of Christ. Jesus, the one who ascended to his throne in heaven, first had to descend to us. And if there's anyone who knows pain and suffering, it's Jesus Christ. He lost his reputation, didn't he? He was despised, the prophet Isaiah tells us, despised and rejected by men. He spent days in isolation from the wilderness to Calvary, being tempted in every way like you and I are without sin. And third, his whole life was one display after another of compassion. By the way, who was he caring for even as his life ebbed away on the cross? His mother, right? He saw his disciple John and said, John, behold your mother. Mother, here is your son. Caring for his mother, even as he was paying for our sins. He mixed and mingled with the despised, the desperate, the deplorables, the prostitutes, the lepers, the poor, the sick, all who were in distress or in debt or bitter in soul. And he is still saying to you and me today, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I told you about Kara Tippetts at the beginning. She died in 2015. But she lived with her cancer story very, very well. She wrote a blog called Mundane Faithfulness. You can actually read it today because it's being maintained by her friends mundane faithfulness. Kara wrote a book called The Hardest Peace, and it won a Christian Book Award. And as as, uh, Kara's cancer grew, at one point she said this, and I quote, God has taught me to look for him, to look for his goodness in the midst of my hard. I'm learning that the story of suffering is not the bad story, but it's God breaking me to look for his goodness in my days. Wow, that's really cool. So if you're trusting in Jesus, basically pain, Kara Tippetts is telling us, can be a messenger of hope. Pain says that God's at work. He is preparing you just like he was preparing David and Kara and billions of God's people down through the ages. He's making you more like Christ. He's filing off the rough places, smoothing out the dents and the blemishes, making you a blessing to somebody else. So remember Samuel Rutherford's words. Praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you bring us times of difficulty times of trial, viruses, job loss, the loss of loved ones, 
And despite how hard they are, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of them, we see that you understand suffering because you've been there. Father, you of all beings knew the pain of seeing a loved one die. Your very son who paid the price for our sin died for us on the cross and you gave him over for us all. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're with us. You never leave us or forsake us when we are in a hard place. And Holy Spirit of God, thank you that you are filling us even now with strength for the journey, even though it's difficult. And I suspect there are people in the room today who are going back into a prison or into a situation that they're not looking forward to. So Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen our faith even as we come now to the table. We pray that you will bless these elements, the bread and the wine and the juice, and separate them, Lord, from the common use to the special use of being means and sources of growth and grace in our lives. Lord, we pray now as this sacrament is shared that we will draw near to you and commune with you by faith. Feed upon Jesus, because so desperately do we need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning into Grace Church's sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracearp.org. That's gracearp.org. If you'd like to visit us, our address is 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. Again, that's 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. We now pray that God will bless you as you go forward to bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Grace.